Hello, everybody listening. Uh, this is Kevin Gardner, and I'm hosting Shot by Shot, a podcast uh, where we're going to be discussing sequential and cinematic art while also drinking a little bit of alcohol or other drink of choice if you uh, aren't a big fan of the of the spirits. Uh, and co-hosting is uh, my good friend Sean Edgar. Say hello, Sean. Thanks, Kevin. Me, Kevin, and our other esteemed host, who you'll be meeting shortly, will be chatting with some of the greatest trailblazers in visual art. We'll be breaking down the lines, pixels, and celluloid that make our pupils dilate. And while, as Kevin mentioned, drinking a little bit of alcohol. Uh, Mr. Brian Stelfries, how are you? Uh, hey, how are you guys doing? This is Brian. I'm and, you know, kind of hanging out with my boys. I, I can't imagine anything more fun. Instead of alcohol tonight, I have broken open a puck of 40-year-old Pu'er tea. So uh, so I'm having, a, I'm having that for the occasion. And I should ask, I, I think, Kevin, you're beating us all, even though I do want to talk to you, Brian, about Pu'er tea. Because apparently you can hide those bricks of PRT and they're a ridiculous amount of cash. Like, yes. it's almost its own currency, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the, um, the one that I'm, um, that I'm currently jumping in on was like a, the entire brick was, uh, was a few hundred bucks, but I just got a piece of the brick. And, uh, and that was like a hundred bucks. I hope it's caffeinated. Wow. <laughs> Well, I, I've already learned something that I didn't know existed tonight, and that was pucks of tea. Is that really, <laughs> this is a new thing to me. They're super hard, right? You could actually like hit someone in the face and do some damage with a puck of tea, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, um, have you ever had like leaves stuck in your drain, and it, and it stays there for a couple of seasons, and then you get some guy to go up there and just knock it out, and it's just like this brick made of leaves okay yeah yes. much wear tea <laughs> <laughs> man well you learn something every day that's awesome <laughs> yeah. but but kevin i gotta ask i feel like you as a southern gentleman are gonna put us all to shame with whatever you are imbibing right now well yeah so uh i was thinking of you know what is the you know the good southern gentleman drink uh and i remembered that i had snagged a bottle of Knob Creek 12 year right before the holidays. And initially I thought, well, I'll give this to somebody for Christmas, but yeah, that didn't happen. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, with the 12 gaugeness of what I do, open up the 12, 12 year was a pretty good call. I thought tonight, since this is the, our inaugural uh, podcast. So everybody do an inaugural cheers and uh, just clink your drink against whatever your microphone is. Totally uh, cool. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one, cheers. Cheers. Uh, that's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's start off. I mean, because Kevin, you are the head honcho of 12 Gauge Comics. Uh, but for folks who don't know, what is 12 Gauge Comics? Well, 12 Gauge Comics is, well, it's, it's a lot of things. Long and short of it, we make comic books. But we're not the traditional comic book publisher I had background in, in both comic book retail and, and worked at Valiant uh, when I was out of college and loved, always loved comics. But I got to know these guys at uh, Gaijin Studios, which, of course, Brian Stilfries was one of the, the head honchos there. Really got the bug to make comics and wanted to make comics uh, with my friends. I think I talked 
to these guys uh, at Kaijin about it for years and other people I knew in the industry that I was friends with and finally uh, came up with this idea for an anthology called The Ride and got uh, Doug Wagner on board to write it. Went to Brian, Cully Hamner, Jason Pearson, George's Jinty, Dexter Vines, uh, Adam Hughes, all around the same time and pitched on the idea. They somehow went for it. And that was, uh, I guess, going on 16 years ago, but about 15 and a half. And we put the ride out through Image, which I sort of acted as a producer, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. And we put books out through Image for years. Uh, we've Around 2009, we started publishing books on our own. Uh, and a few years ago, the market the way it is, you know, and, and us not being a monthly publisher of multiple titles, uh, we went back and worked with Image, recently with Dark Horse. 12 Gauge is a collective of guys that like to create, talented people. I'm lucky enough to that they let me sort of run the business side of it and find the best place to put the books. So we kind of act like a, a content producer, like for a network. We can have a show on CBS or on ABC or on Netflix or whatever, uh, but we're doing comics. So that's sort of the long and short of it. Yeah, but but Brian, and you can talk about this too. When I think of 12 Gauge, I think of beautiful women, car explosions, <laughs> and excessive violence. That's that's the 12 Gauge heart, except very oh, yeah. tastefully yeah. well done. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, and and I think one of the things that um, what's what's cool about uh, Kevin's idea behind getting this thing going is is Kev is a, is a comic book publisher, but it's, it's almost like he's Tarzan. He, he was raised by wolves or better yet. He was raised by artists <laughs> and, uh, and he hung out with us. He was, he was kind of a, a part of the gang. And I guess he kind of got the vibe of, uh, of how we artists like doing stuff, what, what we enjoy when we, uh, when we do projects. And, uh, and I think, I think 12 gauge is, is, is almost an apology for the, uh, for the complaints that we would just level at Kev about other comic book companies. So it was like really cool where he kind of went, well, what if you could do your own thing? Then what? So it's a, it's, it's kind of a no excuse driven comic book company. And the nice thing about it is, is, uh, is all of us are into sort of crime, noir, cool stories, just all this, uh, you know, kinetic comics. And uh, that's what 12 gauge is all about. Tell me your uh, origin story as it was. So uh, it's hard for me to separate 12 Gauge at this point with Studio Gaijin, which you were a founding member of, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, what's uh, what's cool is the the idea, um, the inception for it uh, came from uh, Carl Story, uh, Adam Hughes, and I met up at a convention, and this is the first time kind of uh, I was hanging out with Carl. And, uh, and the first time we met Adam Hughes and we would kind of take commissions during the day and we'd all hang out in Adam's room at night, staying up all night, finishing up these commissions. And then we'd go down to the table again, take more commissions and then go into my room and work all night. So we pretty much just, you know, would stay up all night, getting work done, talking shop and just having a ball. And, uh, and for us, we were like, man, what if we could do this all the time? <laughs> you know, and uh, and it was like that that kind of idea was born, and it took like um, a couple of years for it to come to fruition. But uh, but that's what we wanted to do. All, all of us were into, I mean, comics as fans, but we were also into the scholarship of the uh, of the medium. Was there a demand to kind of transcend superheroes and do this hard biting crime 
and noir that you guys excelled in when the ride initially came out? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, those those were the movies um, that uh, that we loved. Uh, this is you, you got to really kind of get get the picture. Is we were all like loving like Hong Kong action cinema. This was like during the rise of John Woo. Um, these are these are all the ingredients that ended up making John Wick were being sort of forged at this time. Uh, and uh, and we were loving it. Uh, a lot of the uh, Tarantino Reservoir Dogs had uh, had just come out. So there was all the stuff that we were into. And then Kev kind of slides into the picture and says, you want to do that? Because no comic book <laughs> company was doing it at the time. Yeah. Kevin, tell me about the inception of Lacey. Tell us all about Lacey. I need to know about Lacey. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that... Uh, the comic started when it did was it's Doug and Doug Wagner and I had mentioned earlier, he was also in this friend group. He and Cully were best friends in high school. And um, we ended up uh, working together on some things and uh, would always talk about, you know, making these comics. We wanted to make comics and, you know, the market was really bad. It just sort of set the stage for guys who don't remember uh, back in the, in the mid nineties. Uh, and the, the market crashed pretty hard after a speculator, you know, blow up and so it was really really difficult to try to get anything going and um you know how could you make your money back that was sort of you know one of the problems but anyway um doug and i had talked about it for a few years and uh and as this had all gone on i got married and uh my wife and i were expecting our first child found out we were pregnant and i guess doug and i were talking and the comic books came up again i said you know if, if, if we don't do this now I will never have time to do this. If I don't make time in this next nine months, it's never going to happen. And uh, so that's sort of what, uh, you know, the, where the ride came from. I set it around and we were talking about how could we make all our, a book that all our friends could work on uh, and be cool enough that they would agree to do it and also to work in their schedule. So we decided on an anthology. The ride was born. And then as we started writing or kicking around ideas and, and Doug was talking to everybody and, and the teenage assassin came up and, I knew at that point, uh, I guess my daughter had been born or was on the way, and uh, her name was Lucy. So I said, "Hey, look, this." And I actually, initially, she was supposed to be a good, a good character. She was supposed to be like Vega's partner. And um, so I, I said, "Hey, let's name her Lucy. That'd be kind of cool. Name it after my daughter." And it's somewhere along the line, she changed into being an, a, a, this teenage assassin who was going to go up against Vega. Uh, and and all that was great. I was cool with it. You know, she was a Brian had already designed her. Um, but, but in, when the script came in, the, there's a big kind of her, her grand entrance where she blows this bus up and you, you get this splash page where she's on top of the, of this, the 68 Camaro, the ride, and this bus is in flames, you know, blowing up behind her. And she's standing there uh, with her gun, this big desert Eagle. And the script says she really, you can tell that Lucy really gets off on killing. And then Brian sends the page in. <laughs> And <laughs> I know know exactly the page you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> which was is also a funny story because Brian never called me. Like we, I would see Brian and we would email or whatever, but uh, like I didn't get a call from Brian unless I called Brian. So I get a call from Brian, and he says, "Hey, are you in front of your computer?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm at home. I can run to my computer really quick." He's like, "Wow, well, I've got a page to show you." And so when I when I click click the uh, you know the, turn the monitor on hit the email. 
page comes in. And back then we were on like, you know, AOL. So it's like five minutes of the page loading. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I saw the, the page, it's a splash page for those of you who haven't seen it. And, and Lacey, uh, the, the character now name is Lacey. She's got like her hand down her pants because she's really getting off on killing. And uh, <laughs> like, I'm in complete silence. Part of it was waiting for the, the email to open. And Brian thought I was like, didn't know what to say, which was kind of true too. Cause when I did see the page, I was speechless for a minute. And then I just started hysterically laughing because I'm like, Oh my God, what have you done? And, uh, but, uh, which, you know, the page was awesome. Uh, I loved it. Uh, but I knew that this character could no longer be named after my daughter. So um, we changed it to Lacey. That's where she was, how she was born. So, so Brian, I help out with social media sometimes. I'll use your art and people always have this huge reaction to your art. And I waited so long to post that page because I, I didn't know what the response would be. Then I posted it and it historically got more attention than anything else I had ever posted. It was, it, it was very well received. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the funny thing about it is, is, uh, is for me getting into this project, you know, I, I'm, I'm working for DC, I'm working for Marvel, you know, I'm, I'm doing, doing that thing and it was kind of fun. And then, you know, I'm doing the 12 gauge thing. And when I got to that page, you know, my first thought is, okay, well, I'm just going to do the page. But then I, I sort of stopped and kind of went, wait a minute. He said, we can do whatever we want. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of, kind of like, you know, sort of that, that bad child testing the limit you know, and, uh, and I just kind of, you know, pushed it as far as I could. And I, I knew that, okay, I want to do something that's going to shock both Kevin and Doug. And if those guys give it a good reaction, then I know it's going to, it's going to be something that's going to have a little life to it. And, and I was 50, 50 on it. I just kind of knew one. And one of the reasons why I called Kevin was if, if he had said, yeah, that's too far, then I would know, you know, okay. <laughs> Dad says, this is the limit. But, you know, I heard silence and then I just heard Kev laughing and I was just like, oh, we're in. This is going to be such a fun adventure. <laughs> so so let's be honest. You're, you're working on Batman and you then you have Lacey. At the end of the day, who are you more pumped to illustrate? Oh, oh, Lacey, 100%. <laughs> Why do you even ask that question? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think of her as the envelope. I mean, she is she is it uh, at all times. And uh, and, you know, every once in a while, you know, just doing shots of her with like a sniper rifle or shots of her just doing something uh, uh, just absolutely insane. And, you know, I think part of it is like as as an old guy, you know, I, I would look at the younger generation and they're so out there. And I just kind of thought, man, that's kind of cool that uh, that these young guys and girls can just be uh, personally out there on social media. They can just put their sexuality out there and everything. And, uh, and I thought that Lacey's like a, a forever representation you know, of that kind of uh, almost millennial spirit. Yeah, absolutely. That is very well said. And Lacey had a lot of comics. She had Die Valkyrie and then she had Gun Candy, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So would you guys ever return to that character? Is that still something where you're thinking what happened to this young teenage assassin? 
Oh yeah, but the um, the the crazy thing about it is is uh, what, what was funny was the the character was was to a certain extent designed to die in her first story. But like, and we and we in the ride she got murdered. <laughs> um, but we had so much fun with the uh, with the character that we just kind of went, hey, let's let's do you know sort of the origin of uh, of Lacey, and uh, and we did did that story uh, as Gun Candy, and that was fun. And uh, and after we finished that, we're like, man, let's do some more. <laughs> and uh, so we've kind of thrown continuity to the winds. And uh, and we're just anytime we have a, a fun story, we're just doing stuff with the character. And uh, and Doug and I, we're we're madly in love with the character. It's, it's kind of just one of those characters that you can just kind of get your id out there. All right. Hear me out. A crossover between Lacey and Black Panther. What would that look like? <laughs> That would look like you know, sort of the Disney sniper would take me out. <laughs> you just, that <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Yeah, that that would be. <laughs> there's there's just no earth where that's allowed to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sure, but it yeah, we could. can dream. <laughs> We can dream, but right. Uh, but yeah. right. I mean, Twilight started as fan fiction for something, right? It wasn't, if I recall correctly. <laughs> like Tanahisi Coates writing Lacey, uh, Doug writing Black Panther. We'll see where that goes. Oh yeah! <laughs> wow. And yeah, that's... and yeah, and and, and it's, it's it's so much fun to um to do stuff like uh, like this too, where it's just it's just kind of sitting back and having having fun with it and just. Uh, exploring, exploring a character, and uh, and not having to worry about you know just these Gordian knot of continuity or anything like that. And I think all of the twelve gauge books are are books that it's kind of cool because it's it's not only books that I like doing, but it, it's books that I like reading. But you know, the twelve gauge, the whole the whole idea behind it was that for artists to have fun. Well, I mean, that, that's the writer and the you know the actual artist, the creative talent should have a good time. If you're going to do a book for uh, an indie company, or if you're doing a creator-owned book for you know any publisher like Image or whoever, the only reason you should be doing that is because you have a story to tell and you have something that you want to express. That you, you know, you just can't do that when you're drawing Spider-Man or Batman or the X-Men. Yeah. Or 15 years ago, you're still being mined for IP. I guess you know, the Spider-Man movie was about to happen. Obviously, Superman and Batman had already happened. Uh, so you know these people saw big picture. You couldn't mess with their characters. Uh, you could tell cool stories with their characters, but you could only go so far. And so if you're going to take a break from the superheroes, the bread and butter of the industry, uh, and do something that's in this crime and action space, which let's be honest, I mean, like Brian said earlier, th- that's the kind of stuff that that we have respond to uh, as you know guys at the time in their 30s or whatever. But you should have fun with it, and there shouldn't be somebody telling you, no, you can't do that. No, you've got to change that. Well, we've got to keep this thing on track because we've got this other crossover going on, whatever. You know, this is a, a chance for you to, to express yourself however you want, uh, within reason. I mean, you know, obviously 12 Gauge is a brand and is a little company. Well, wait, 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 Kevin, Kevin. You are a man who greenlit a comic about a serial killer and a blow up doll. <laughs> what are the limits here? <laughs> Well, I'll let you know when I get to him. He keeps, uh, yeah, he keeps saying that there's, <laughs> that there's a 
<laughs> that you can go too far. We've all been searching for that line. <laughs> playing a game of leapfrog. <laughs> Which is much better than the, uh, the, the human centipede game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, that would be too far for me, just as an FYI. I read the premise, didn't watch that movie. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's, it's I, I, I trust creators, but, you know, there's been things I've been pitched that I didn't want to do. But luckily, you know, there's been it really hasn't happened from any of my my core group of guys that and, and uh, that I've worked with for years or known for years. And when Doug pitched me plastic, and I said, that, you know, Doug and I have known each other since, you know, 93, something like that. Um, and, you know, we've always had similar taste. Uh but you know, from a quality standpoint, that that's the first thing. Is this going to be a quality piece of material? Because uh, I'm not really into pushing the envelope just for the sake of pushing the envelope. You you need to have a story behind it. So when he pitched me plastic, uh, and and at the time I was most of the books Twelve Gauges was putting out on their own. I was putting the books out under the Twelve Gauge banner through Diamond, and you know I, I told Doug like this is cool. I'm very you know I I get why you want to do this story. And and Daniel Hilliard who was the artist. I'd already worked with uh, on a, on a I guess two projects, and but I'm like, who's going to buy this? Like, is there anybody on earth that's <laughs> buy a, a a comic book about a serial killer in love with a blow up doll? And will we even be able to get it in previews? You know, I, I mean, it wasn't going to be a hard like X rated thing, but it wasn't going to be a slam dunk. So I really was concerned about it because you know I don't want to lose so much money that I can't do any more books. Right. But we talked about it and, and Doug and Daniel were so enthusiastic about it. I'm like, you know what? That's what it is about, you know, taking some risk and, you know, trusting these creators and letting the creators create. And when the first scene came in and, and to also mention, uh, Doug was at one time in, in Gaijin when Laura Martin was, was in the studio, I guess, you know, uh, before Gaijin sort of dissolved to some degree at the time. But anyway, Doug and Laura and Brian were all in there at the same time. And, so he he called up on Laura. I was like, "Will you color this?" And she flipped for it, and she jumped on board. So when the first scene came in, I guess like the first four or five pages, uh, they were fully colored and just beautiful. I was like, "All right, yeah, this is this is going to work." Uh, I was meeting with Eric Stevenson at Image. And we were in San Diego a couple of years ago. I guess it was like summer of sixteen, and we were talking about another project all together. And uh, he said, well, "What else are you working on?" And, and so I had my iPad and I showed him plastic, and he was like. Uh, can we publish this? Or, or, or you, you, have you got anything set up? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just planning. We were actually planning on doing it as a graphic novel because I didn't think the monthly issues would work. I didn't think that, you know, I thought we'd have a better chance of getting legs in the book market. So that's how that all came about. So yeah, what are the limits? I don't know. Uh, it, it, if you've got quality people, I, I don't want to just, I don't want to shock value just for the sake of shock value. Like with Lacey, going back to that, that was like the character was evolving and it became this thing. And you, you know, it was, she was only in one scene. It was eleven pages of that comic. But, but when you saw that page, like you'd already seen the design and knew she was cool. But when you saw that page, you're like, this is an iconic character now. People that see that book will never forget that. Like, that's an iconic uh, forever. You know. So yeah, but yeah, well, I don't know what the limits are. I'm sure I'll find them at some point. But uh, oh, right now, I'm, I'm gonna find them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Brian, can you talk about what you do hypothetically next if, if you go back to this kind of playground of crime and uh, noir? When I'm doing stuff for Marvel and DC, um, that satisfies the kid in me. 
You know, that that satisfies that young uh, guy who used to go to the comic book shop every Wednesday and hang out with his buddies and collect stuff. That's deeply satisfying. And I think what's really cool is no one does a better Batman than DC Comics and no one does a better Spider-Man than than Marvel Comics. When these creators and these companies, they do books that are veiled imitation of Superman or Batman or whatever. Uh, my attitude is always, well, but Marvel and DC do those so much better than uh, than everyone else. And it's kind of cool to do these stories because these these are our stories. When I'm working 12 gauge, it satisfies the uh, the adult, you know, in me. I'm literally doing the books that I'd love to see as movies. There's a cinematic quality to it. There's a I'm putting a different energy into it. And uh, and that's that's just so much fun. Well, I mean, this is called Shot by Shot. And obviously, Kevin and I are, are indulging, and as are you with your tea. But you also have some gorgeous shots. I'm looking at a few right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Literal shots. And you talk about cinema. I mean, your comprehension of bodies and space. I'm looking at this Matador page. And we should talk about Matador before we launch into it. Yeah. But the dude launches over a car while shooting his gun, and then it has the explosion behind him. I'm like, I my pupils are dilating right now. It is hugely entertaining. The the cool thing is is uh, is, is Matador is is kind of a a really quintessential twelve gauge book. It's it's you know pure kind of crime. You know I, I kind of love like the stuff that Tony Scott and uh, and even now um, Michael Bay. Are, uh, are doing and you know the Wachowski brothers so uh, I really wanted to push that in this comic and uh, and do at the time we w- would refer to this as as Miami noir <laughs> you know where it's <laughs> it's noir but it's some of the brightest and some of the most pastel-y colors you can get on noir well I was talking with Devin Grayson the author and she was saying that a lot of this plot was yours how did you concoct this it always comes from like a a question that I always have. I think the initial question came from the fact that all of the good guys in comics tend to look alike. If like Batman and Superman are kind of the same guy, you know, as far as like how they look and, uh, and they all have that sort of uh, tall, dark and handsome look to it. And, uh, and even the bad guy, if you have like this, you know, sort of handsome, suave bad guys, like people are automatically kind of uh, attracted to that. And I kind of thought, well, what if that was just a shell? You know, what if you produce a a book and a story with that character that everyone has seen like a million times throughout history and everyone immediately starts projecting their cliches onto the character? So, So the character is just a collection of cliches but then as the story plays out, you find out that the character is absolutely nothing you expected the, uh, the character to be. And that was just kind of a, a thing that was stuck in my head. And I came up with a kind of a setting to explore that story. And once I realized, okay, well, this character can't be the lead. This character has to be kind of the foil. The story needs to be told through a different character. And I realized that this story requires a, a female protagonist to me Devin was the only person that I could uh, I could work with on this so I gave her a call and pretty much just dumped this thing onto her and and it was like the 
the best creative experience I've ever had because we just went back and forth and back and forth. And, and Kevin actually printed some of the emails in the, uh, in the book. And we just kind of hashed this thing out. And at one point, Devin said, okay, I'm going to disappear for a while. And she just vanished and then came back like a, like a couple of months later uh, with the entire thing written. And it was just absolutely awesome. And then I wrote an email to her saying, okay, I'm going to disappear for a while. <laughs> so, so it was like, it was just, just a, a really cool experience. And, and that coincidentally is kind of the way that I work all the projects that I've done at, uh, at 12 gauge where I'm, I'm either the sort of uh, germ of the idea or I'm in there soon after the idea starts to form. We go back and forth, the writer and I, and, uh, and come up with something just really cool. I think cool is a great way to describe it. And just looking at this page, I'm shocked at how you approach wide shots, bid shots, and close-ups. Because the thing that I think is coolest is obviously the guy sh jumping over the car and shooting it. But it's at the top where you have these four tiny panels. And the coolest thing to me is just this lone foot hovering over a car. It's like, I'm just thinking to myself, something badass is about to happen. And you don't disappoint. Oh, yeah. The thing that I, that I try to approach comics with, and, and I got some of this from, uh, from great conversations with uh, uh, Jim Steranko, who's kind of a, a hero and a friend. But, uh, but there's a rhythm. To, to panels, you know, a panel being a specific size gives it a certain beat on the page and a panel being a certain shape gives it a different beat. So in that particular page that you're talking about, I'm trying to create a sense of things accelerating with those four panels. And then when you suddenly get those wide three panels beneath it, it feels like things are moving in slow motion. So you go from like, like this, bam, 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 to boom, boom. Boom. So there's there's got to be that rhythmic quality to how I'm trying to set up the uh, the action sequences. It's amazingly wow. accomplished. And I just have to pull off to the side of the road here for a second and say, if I win the lottery, and I hope it happens really soon, the Steranko Stelfreeze collaboration is going to be epic. <laughs> You know, I, I tell you some, something that's amazing is um, when I when I met Jim Steranko, it was like past midnight at uh, at the Dragon Con, and uh, and I was giving these guys. Uh, I happened to see these guys as I was going to my car, and I was giving them a portfolio review. And as I'm giving them the uh, portfolio review, you know, and, and you know, I'm just a guy. And I saw them earlier and we were just kind of like hanging out. But then suddenly they started showing this strange deference towards me. I was like, okay, this is, this is weird. And, uh, and I finished up the review and I kind of slid the portfolio over to the guys. And I said, hey, if you're here next year, definitely drop by. I'd like to see how much you've improved. And they're like, well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And then I heard this slow clap. And I turned around and Jim Steranko's there. And he had been there watching me give the portfolio review and jim kind of walks up front and says that was a great portfolio review but i've got a couple of questions for you and the kids like slide over and he sits on the couch in front of me what happened next was just this descent into storytelling weeds that was so absolutely phenomenal it was kind of cool to have him both validate and fortify and alter some of the thoughts 
that I was chasing on uh, on comic book storytelling. But uh, but the guy is like really kind of truly a genius. And uh, and sometimes I fall under the impression that man, I think about this stuff too much. And uh, and when I had that conversation with Jim, I was just like, you know what? Maybe I don't think about this stuff enough. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Have you guys ever like looked at his biography? Oh yeah. <laughs> like yes. what is it? I, I like I might be making up a few of these, but like car thief, magician, but also like Warholian designer. It seems like he's such a conglomeration oh, of yeah. different and, lifetimes rolled into one man. And the uh, inspiration for Mr. Miracle. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean, they based the comic book character off of him. You know, that's just nuts. Yeah, yeah. he but, is amazing. One thing interesting he said at the uh, at the end of that conversation, and it was cool because we had the conversation about storytelling, and we kind of wrapped it up. I said, Jim, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you need to leave or anything, but I, but I was wondering if you're if you're prepared to talk about Outland, and uh, and Outland is this story that he did based on the terrible movie Outland. But it's some of the greatest comic book storytelling to me of all times. And and I always refer back to it. And when I said, when I asked the question, Jim kind of like leaned back in the chair and he said, Brian, I've been waiting to have this conversation for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) So so then we went into it again and uh it was kind of because like one of the guys said hey you want me to pull it up it's uh it's online and jim just kind of puts his hand up and says we won't need that son <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was just it was just great but uh but after the conversation um he said at some point we'll need to get together and do a book which won't be appreciated for 20 years <laughs> We're waiting, Brian. Where is it? So it's on the table. You know, I'm going to hold him to it. I'm pulling this book up right now while we're talking and uh, looking at some of the pages on the on the internet. I didn't know this existed. It's called Outland. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a and, Sean Connery sci-fi flick. Please don't. And if you don't see the movie, but uh, I would like, say too, uh, as an aside again, shot number three of Knob Creek Twelve Year is even better than the first. and also if if i can go back you're telling me not to watch outland but people also told me not to watch zardoz with sean connery and i had a great time watching zardoz bad sean connery movies are beautiful on their own terms you know characters in uh frank miller's daredevil yeah there's a there's one character called stone where he can survive any attack if he knows it's coming. So if he knows that you're about to stab him, it won't hurt him. But if you sneak up on him and stab him, it'll cause him a lot of pain. He can prepare himself for any attack. And I think that's what Zardoz is. If you're not prepared for Zardoz, it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Kevin, have you seen Zardoz? I have not. This is where (laughs) the conversation veers an interesting direction because it's, it's Sean Connery and what happened was after James Bond, he didn't know what he was going to do with his career. And so he kind of lowballed it. And he played this weird sci-fi character, like in a Speedo, a red leather Speedo. Right. Oh, I've, I've seen these pictures. I've always wondered what that was from. Yeah. yeah. It's this weird kind of like Glorious. Fahrenheit 451 <laughs> commentary on culture and the erasure of uh, intellectualism. But it's also yeah. just like, 
Sean Connery acting batshit crazy in this pseudo intellectual movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. With all rolled over the metaphor of the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) It's $180 on Amazon and it's the French edition. That's the only place I've found it. Because I'm trying to buy the damn thing right now. Uh, Zardoz or Outland? Outland, yes. Going back oh, to Outland. Um, wait, 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 Brian. Can you break down Outland for us? Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's page by page. What Jim is doing is he's he's taking this um kind of awful movie. He's setting up these sequences. He's setting up these action sequences, and everything has like just an incredibly kind of unique story approach and that's the thing that really got me excited when i first saw it because just the way that he was using panels the way that he was modulating the panel size to give emphasis to things that was uh was a thing that i was like really massively attracted to about the work and it was just really kind of a pleasure to kind of go oh i saw you doing this you were taking panels and making the smaller panels mean less time he would kind of go ah you caught that so it was like really kind of cool going going back and forth with him about stuff like that about some of the uh, some of the text techniques that he was using for storytelling the real question is besides that amazingly eloquent explanation is how well he portrayed peter boyle and john ratzenberger oh dude <laughs> Two actors in the original Outland film. Yeah, and 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 he uh, he nailed uh, he nailed Connery too. That wraps up our first episode of Shot by Shot. But Brian, Kevin, and I spoke for a very very long time, so we'll be releasing the rest of this conversation shortly, as well as episodes with guests, including Colley Hamner, Daniel Warren Johnson, and many more. Thanks, everyone.